Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Mosh, your host of Task Force X. What, we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ossinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title and all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go ahead and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. Welcome back to episode 48 of Task Force X. Glad you could join us, squad mates. This month, we're going to look at checkmate number 21, a character profile on Silent Majority, and finally, Suicide Squad 33. But as I said, first up, we've got Checkmate 21. As usual, all this information I'm going to read off comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, a great site. Thank you, Mike. The cover date of this book was October of 1989, but to buy it off the stand, you had to be around August the 29th of 1989, which I was. The cover price, well, I paid a buck fifty for this when I first bought it back in August of 89. The title of this story was called One Wet and Wild Night. Written, our old buddy Paul Kupperberg. Penciler, Steve Irwin. Inker, Al Vey, of course. Letter, John Costanza. Colorist, our favorite Juliana Fritter. Even though I can't pronounce her name properly, I'm sure. And editor was Jonathan Peterson. The cover was done by Steve Irwin. And st- penciled by Steve Irwin and inked by Keith Stan Wilson. And the synopsis, which again I stole from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Checkmate dispatches agents to California where farmers are being threatened for their water rights. The missionary known as Bishop has been terrorizing the farmers, but Knight Conrad McKay confronts him. Bishop is able to withstand all attacks from the Knight and eventually defeats him. Meanwhile, Harry Stein continues to battle with his ex-wife for custody of his children. That's the synopsis. Uh, Now let's go ahead and move on to all my thoughts on this issue. Uh, Before I get started with it, I will preface that uh, this issue and the next issue have, have a special fondness for me. Part of the story takes place in Merced, California. That is about 16 miles from my hometown. And uh, that's the Merced is where my comic shop was at, Coppa Comics. In fact, my comic shop was about a block down from where parts of the story takes place. So I, I may be a little more nitpicky on this one as far as some of the, the details of the scenes. Uh, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But I, I do hold it special because, again, while not my hometown, I did go to college in this town. I, I went there for a while there. I was going weekly to pick up my comics. In fact, I worked in Merced at a Target for a while, so I was there daily uh, for a couple of years. But let's get into that after we do this. Uh, the cover. Got our Checkmate logo. It's an all-white cover. In front and center, we have Bishop with his robes. Uh, holding on to our knight, and uh, electricity, I'm assuming, is crackling off of him. The background, the panel, is uh, just pure white with the green electricity crackling throughout the rest of the page. At the bottom, it says, The Shocking Return of Bishop. Um, again, a very nice cover. Uh, I, as I've said here and plenty of other times, I really enjoy the look of the knight and his costume. I think that... Uh, Again, John Byrne and Paul Kupperberg and Steve Irwin, all of them had a hand in it, did a magnificent job. And I love the night he's, he's getting electrocuted apparently here, and you can see his eyes are bugging like, oh, oh, crap. So I, I really love the way that this cover looks. It's a very nice cover uh, for a great story. Now on to the story itself. Uh, we get our Knight O'Donnell. He's in training, trying to prove he's still got the stuff after being missing and everything he's gone through. And again, we get the, some nice shots of the costume. Uh, he's jumping around. I love the way that he's 
the artist uh, Steve Irwin, the the uh, Alve draw the the knight jumping in motion, flipping around. We see his faint trails of where he's been, and just the first couple pages very nice uh, shots of the knight as he's going through his paces. And again, here on the second page, we get a little uh, editor's note, which I've said before I really love. It's letting us know that Winston was thought to have been killed back in Checkmate 7. And then we get the next couple pages with Stein talking with Sarge Steele, who, after the Janus Directive was pet in charge of all the intelligence community agencies, if you will. Uh, Given the recap on his new mission, uh, it talks about the uh, Southern California and water coming from Mono Lake. And it goes into details about how the, the government subsidizes... Or, sorry, the farmers get subsidized by the state and federal water projects, so they end up paying less money than the average Joe does. And there are some guys in the process of trying to buy the excess water from the farmers before the state and federal government does. And again, Checkmate's supposed to keep this on the down low. And then we get uh, Winston coming up from his training. Uh, he was night was down there training. And he volunteers for this job because, again, he wants to get back out in the field. He's been inactive for the last few months. So he wants to get back out there. And, and Stein's telling him, you know, you've got to go through refresher course. You've got to get, you know, prepared for you back out there. And I like here on page nine where uh, Winston's laying on saying how, you know, it's more therapeutic uh, fighting and actually getting out in the field instead of going through instructors and machines and what have you. And Stein's like, you ever notice your Irish bro gets thicker the deeper you pile the bull O'Donnell? Let me think about it, okay? <laughs> Again, I love the dialogue in this book. It's fantastic. And then on page five, we get uh, the Peacemaker. Uh, he's living in Pax, the Pax Institute, Geneva, Switzerland. And he gets a call from Bishop, they're referring to him as Mr. Bishop, tell him to come in. And again, we get a little more, not necessarily backstory, but a little more uh, characterization of Peacemaker. I forget if I talked about this last, the last couple of times he's shown up. But Peacemaker, uh, his name's Christopher Smith, is his real name. Uh, he, he's a bit delusional. He f- sees his father. And he has conversations with his father, who's dead. And again, I forget offhand, but from the image here, it looked like his father was a uh, part of Hitler's people. He's got the swatchka, swatchka on his armband. And again, he so he's, he's haunted, in quotes, by the memory of his father. And so everything he does, or most things he does, he's doing to try to honor his father, try to pleases his dead father. So again, I love that they bring this up because again, they... I don't know if he saw him in the, during the Janus Directive or he just talked to him. I forget now. It's been a couple months. But I love... Like I say, Peacemaker's a, a... He's one of the Charlton characters that came over when DC bought Charlton. And uh, again, I know he had a four-issue miniseries in the late 80s, early 90s. I forget when that was, but I explored a little more about him. And he mainly showed up, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the Checkmate books. And I believe he showed up in a few other... He probably showed up in Captain Adam or something. Some of the other Charlton-esque books. And then on page six, we get Stein showing the other return knight, whose name was uh, Renard who they thought was killed with the, the Black Adders during the Janus Directive. Uh, apparently his throat was cut or damaged. Uh, so he speaks it was more like this. Uh, again, so a lot, of, not a lot, a couple of the knights that we thought were dead over the last couple of years of the book are slowly returning. So, and again, it's not forced, I don't think. It, it's very... Not everyone's coming back, just two nights. So I, I do like the fact that, you know, these nights that we thought were waste gone, they actually bring back, and they have legitimate reasons, or ways to bring them back. So that's very nice. Then on page 7 and 8, we switch to the, uh, what's the uh, this caption say? Southern California San Joaquin Valley, which is my area, my neck of the woods, 
So like I said, this issue has very special meaning, I guess, to me. Because again, it takes place in Merced and in California, Central California, where I'm from. So uh, again, here on page eight, where we introduce the bishop from the Janus Directive, he's returned. Again, he's got his cloak on. I, I do prefer the cloak over the robotic armor because it's more colorful. It's got the blue and reds. And he's out here destroying the, the farmer's equipment, their water pipes, melting things down. Trying to basically force these these farmers to go along with uh, Mr. Diamond, the guy that's trying to buy their water. He's based out of L.A., we find out. And uh, here on page nine, there's these two farmers and Bishop's threatening them and he picks up one. He's like, you're going to do what you're told or you're going to suffer the same fate as your equipment here. And his buddy pulls out a shotgun. He's like, you drop him right now. He shoots him in the back and... Again, nothing happens because he's armored and Bishop drops uh, the first guy, turns around and, and points his finger at him. The other guy's head just explodes out, just, which again is a nice, nice scene. Again, it's not very graphic. We do get a little blood splatter. Uh, it's mostly just saying blat with an explosion where his head was at. It's very nice. And then at the bottom of the page, now we get more Bullock. He's returned back to a theater showing an old movie. And again, we get more, a little more backstory, a little more characterization, if you will, of Bullock. He's thinking back how he, he's returned to these theaters. One, he enjoys the movies, but he's trying to find the woman that he saw back in episode, or issue 19. And I like, I like the editor's note here. It's like, uh, Bullock's thinking back how, let me see, Bullock's saying, I've been coming back every night. Try that again. I've been coming back for every new show for the last week, but I ain't seen her since I bumped into her to the, at the Thin Man. And there's an editor's note saying, A highly romantic moment back in Checkmate number 19. Wish I could find a girlfriend myself, Jonathan. <laughs> I, I love the editor's notes, as I've said, and I love when they add a little humor to it like that there. It's, it's fantastic. And as he goes in, he sees uh, the woman that he was interested in, so he buys a ticket to go in. She looks at him and smile. And again, Bullock, he came from, the, as I've talked about previously, he came from the Batman comics uh, after he, he left the force. I'm, again, I'm not sure how he left Gotham, but he showed up in as a New York cop in Vigilante. And then Paul Kupperberg, who finished off the Vigilante series and started Checkmate, brought him in here. So I do like Harvey Bullock and, and the characterization they give him in this book. And they're... they're Again, Harvey Bullock being an overweight guy, uh, usually a little sloppy. Being an overweight guy myself, I, I do pull for Bullock, and I do hope, you know, I, I hope that he gets the girl. Because, again, I can see myself as Bullock. <laughs> and then here on page 11, we switch to Merced, California, uh, and we see the hotel. And just uh, for my own comments here, this hotel I'm familiar with. I've never been there. I see it all the time. It's actually on the corner of Main Street and Inn. It's on Inn Street, but it's next to Main Street. And when I first started buying comics in the late 80s, when this book came out, I believe, the comic shop I went to was on M in Main. So if you walked out of the door of the hotel, left over the whole block, you'd be at the front of the comic shop, Cop Comics. Shortly after that, they would close down there and they would move around the corner onto Main Street. So again, from where the hotel's at here, you'd walk out, walk half a block or so down to Main Street, turn left, and go down almost the entire block, and it's right there. It used to be a bookstore before that. So again, I'm very familiar with this hotel, and I may talk a little more about that than you probably want to hear. Uh, again, when I, next time I talk to Shag, if he's still listening, he may call this the, the Merced podcast or something. I don't <laughs> but again, we get, we're in Merced, we're at the hotel. I think, actually, I think it's called the Tioga Hotel, if I'm not mistaken. They just call it a hotel here. The sign by, I believe it's called the Tioga Hotel, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a loss. I've hung out in Merced, but... Well, like I said previously, Merced's about 16 miles or so from the town I grew up in of Chowchilla. Uh, I would go to Merced all the time to the Merced Mall. I would go to Comic Comics, which was in Merced. 
I would go and uh, I went to college for a year at Merced College. So again, I'm very, very familiar with Merced. So I may be making, I may be, I will be making some comments as we go along on this. Things that's inaccurate that I don't recognize. So, but again, so we get the, let me see real quick where we're at. Oh, so we get the the, uh, the farmer from the couple previous pages. So he's talking to the businessman, and they make O'Neill. And, you know, he's saying how this man had killed his foreman, so he has another choice but to sell. And like he's like, uh, O'Neill's like, so we got all the contracts signed, naming me as your exclusive agent and marketing your extra water. And the farmer's like, you mean Eddie Diamond, don't you? And uh, O'Neill's like, Diamond? Can't say that I know that. Can't say that I know that name, Mister Conroy. And if I were you, I'd make sure you say the same thing. And again, as Conroy leaves, our knight approaches him. And uh, again, Conroy doesn't know for sure if this knight is actually who this guy knight's with, because again, he's just a regular guy with a cowboy hat on. And they're trying to talk about to him about. He says he's McKay. Uh, with the federal governments, and he brings up Eddie Diamond. But again, the farmer's like, how do I know you're not with Diamond trying to find out what I know? So I can't, you know, if I say yes, could be hazard my health. And again, one of my comments I'm going to make here, guys walk, and you see, he walks out of the hotel, I'm not sure which way he walks. It's hard to tell from the... It looks like he walks towards Main Street at first. And they got him walking past a place called Fred's Ovoy... Something and fin and feathers, again being in the Merced area, especially this time frame, that little shopping area they're they're showing that the fin and feathers and Ovoy, Ove, Ove, and Fred's or Fred's wherever it is, that little place doesn't exist. Depends on which way you go. There's a movie theater on the corner. There's uh, there was uh, what was it? I think it was a uh, there was like a heart. Uh, electronics place down the streets. But yeah, the, the, this corner doesn't exist the way it pictures here. And again, I'm sure none of you guys really care about this. You guys have probably never been to Merced, don't care about Merced. But again, growing up in that area and going to Merced all the time, especially around this time frame. And I didn't really think much about it at the time. But yeah, looking back now, I'm like, yeah, this, this there's, there's no fin and feather. There's no oive. So I, I do like it took place in Merced. And they do have the hotel relatively correct. Merced Loans. Uh, I think that place was there. And again, I do like to have the lights like they used to have there. They've kind of revitalized Main Street there in Merced a little bit. Tore some buildings down, put some other stuff up. But uh, this first page on page 11 does look like a Merced Street. But yeah, the next page when he leaves the, the hotel. And I'm not sure where he's walking. I kind of lost track where he's at. Yeah, this area does not look familiar to me. Again, having grown up in that area. But I guess enough complaining about how it doesn't actually look like Merced. And let's get back to the store. <laughs> As Conroy starts walking away from the night, the night's like, Damn it, Conroy. He killed your friend. Help me get the bastard. And at that point, that kind of changes Conroy's mind. So he brings him in to talk to him. And then we cut back here at the bottom of page, pages at number 13. We get Stein talking with, uh, what's her name? Kalia, Kalia Campbell? Ms. Campbell, we're going to call her. And she's telling that there's good news, bad news. Uh, bad, the good news is that McKay's, which is the night, is in contact with Conroy. And the bad news is they've realized that the, the freelance agent that's uh, harassing them, if you will, forces them to sell, is Bishop who, again, last showed up in Checkmate 15, which I covered uh, a few, probably last year at this point with my, my couple of gaps I've had. And then I also appeared over on the Longbox Crusade oh, probably two years ago now, talking about that same issue. Uh, Bishop fell into the water and they thought, hopefully, they hoped he was gone. But here he is. So again, I like that the recap and they're... they're and I've said a couple times this episode, I'm going to say it again. I, I love the recaps. Again, the recap says that Bishop took a fiery plunge in checkmate 15, 15 waterlogged Jonathan. <laughs> again, I love one of these little nicknames for themselves. 
<laughs> and as they disconnect, Harry's like, try to have something that'll cheer me up next time, will you? And then he gets a phone call from his, his ex-wife. And <laughs> BJ, the reception where buzzes him, he's like, is Miss Stein on line two? Swell. Tell her I'm dead, would you please? Sir? Okay, pet her through. And again, at this point, as I've been talking about the last couple episodes, she's she's filing for full custody of him. Uh, she's letting him know that he's being subpoenaed and that the custody hearing is next Wednesday and that if he's not there, he'll lose by default, which would make it easier for her. But she, says she doesn't want to win that way. She wants to be fair about it. And I like this. He's like, if you really want to be fair, you wouldn't be trying to take my kids away from me. And again, have a little conversation again, a little argument about that. As I've talked about... I, knowing what Harry does, being a single father myself at one point in life, I really feel for Harry. When I first read this, I was young. I was uh, 19, 20, something like that. I forget when it came out right off of me. See, uh, I'm trying to pull out in 89. Say I was 19. I was 19 at the time this book came out. I wasn't married yet. I didn't have kids yet. So, again, as I've said before, Reading this now that I'm 49 compared to 19. Again, I was looking at the dates again. Wow, this was on sale August. Uh, this episode will probably be coming out in September. So it's a month off from when this, uh, from 30 years from when this issue first came out. So 30 years ago when I first read this. Again, I was a completely different person. Since that time, I've, I've gotten married got two kids, got divorced, got remarried, got two more kids. So I do have an ex-wife. Luckily for me, she kind of dropped out of the picture. So I didn't have to worry about the whole fighting for custody of the kids, which again, I, I got to step over Harry on that. But I feel for Harry where he's coming from. Again, being a father, a single father one time, knowing what Harry's doing, I, I feel that it, for Harry, because again, Harry's the hero of our book, if you will. He's one of the main characters. So I, I really feel for him, and, and I, I know where he's coming from to an extent. And then we come back to Merced, California. Again, we're a little farmhouse. There's a lot of farmhouses and country in Merced on the outskirts of town. So again, I, I can't complain about this place because, again, it could be anywhere in Merced County, Merced, even the town. He's got the town itself, and the town itself is a regular town. It's a smaller town, not as small as Chachola I grew up, but it is a smaller town. It's not a huge city. It's a small town, but there's plenty of countryside and farmlands on the outskirts of town. So we get the night talking with Conroy, and they're feeding him dinner, and Conroy's telling him, you know, I'm here to help out, and I'm going to look around and see what I can find. And again, he dresses up his night costume, goes out in the field. As I said, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Every time I see the night show up, I'm going to make this comment. I love the night costume. Uh, talking again with uh, Paul Kupperberg here a while back on the show. A lot of this, I believe, came from John Byrne. Again, back in the day, I'm not as fond of John Byrne's work now. Back at this time frame, John Byrne was a fantastic writer. He was a fantastic artist. He did a fantastic job helping design these suits. So, but then the last of the series, Bishop shows up, blows down the door of the house. Because again, he comes in. Because they don't like the guy's attitude, the way he's been. And basically, the, the Bishop is here to make him, as we've been saying, he's trying to make him see the way and force him to sell to Diamond in, in his group. And again, like here on page, this page isn't numbered, the page isn't numbered, the even pages, page 20, there's a close-up of the, the uh, not a close-up, but the guy, the farmer, has a gun, shotgun, and he pets it right up next to Bishop and shoots him. Very nice page. I love the art on this this little image here. And uh, let me see real quick. Uh, so the guy pulls his gun out, and his name's Dunhill. And the night uh, bishop's like, "Oh, foolish, Mister Dunhill! Very foolish." And if you don't believe me, you can ask Conray's foreman. 
when you meet him in the afterlife. And he starts to choke him about this time. The knight comes living in the house, knocks Bishop down. And again, they have a little fight here. Uh, again, I love the scene, the knight in action. It's just fantastic uh, artwork of the knight leaping around. I love when they show the, the images, if you will, of him doing different stages of his leap. It's fantastic. Again, they fight a little bit. He uses the uh, his baton to electrocute or try to electrocute Bishop. And as they're talking, you know, he throws a grenade pack at him. And Bishop's like, have you depleted your feasible arsenal knights? And the knight's like, are you kidding, Bishop? I've got a million of them. Volts, that is. <laughs> he tries to electrocute Bishop. And Bishop's like, you've gone stupor since we last met. My battle suit is insulated against such as this. Is yours? And he grabs that and uses his own baton against him. And the checkmate uh, safe house, they find out that the the uh, something stripped the emergency signal on his comm link. So now he's in trouble, so they go off to help him. And our issue ends with Bishop standing over the night, smoke coming off of him. The, the couple staying in the background watching this goes on. It says, one wet and wild night continues next month. Again, another great issue. I, I love the art in here. I, I love the writing. Uh, Steve Irwin and Alvey do a fantastic job. Uh, John Costanza, most people, and I fall in the same thing, don't talk much about the letter. But John Costanza does a great work with the lettering. Uh, Juliana Fredder, fantastic colorist especially on this book. But Paul Kupperberg does a fantastic job with the writing. I, I love... I, I love his writing on here, the, the attention detail he pets. Like I said, the only complaint is more of a nitpick than anything. That, again, I put this on either Steve or uh, Paul, I'm not sure which. But again, I, as I said, that one page, I don't recognize those streets, that, that stores they had there. Other than that, it's fantastic. I love the artwork. I love the, the characters, uh, the character designs. It's fantastic. I mean, I could talk more, but again, it would just be more praising and, and waxing Paul and Steve's car. So at this point, we're going to go and take a quick break. I'm going to play some promos. Uh, you listen in, and we'll be back in just a few minutes with Suicide Squad. Please hold. We're gonna have a break. Message time, we're gonna take. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes Zero Hour Strikes a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network remember Legion in 2014, two comic fans joined forces to do a Doom Patrol podcast. As there was no Doom Patrol comic series at the time, they called it Waiting for Doom. That was us, me, Mike, and him, Paul. In 2016, DC Comics became fearful of the power of Waiting for Doom and sought to appease us by bringing the comic back. Uh, that's not exactly how it went. In 2018, terrified of the sheer horde organising power of Waiting for Doom, DC Universe announced a Doom Patrol TV show. Uh, I think they were planning that without us. In 2019, they again brought back the Doom Patrol comic, hoping we would not smite them. Uh, th this makes no sense. In 2021, they realised we were the most unstoppable force in existence and released the Doom Patrol movie. Uh, this is yeah. pure fantasy now. In 
2022, a terrified motion picture academy awarded the Doom Patrol movie every single Oscar, including Best Documentary and Foreign Language Film. That, that's enough, Paul. Look, we just love the Doom Patrol and have fun talking about them. You can find us on all podcast places and now Spotify. Yeah. And check out our website, waitingfordoom.com, or we will wipe you out, all of you. Attention all personnel. New from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, it's MASHCAST. Hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHCAST analyzes episode by episode the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHCAST on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jocularity! Jocularity! We go back to the fun. Message time is over and done. And welcome back. Now we're going to move on to our character profile for this episode. Yes, another character profile. Uh, this one is for Silent Majority. First appearance was Batman the Outsiders Annual Number 1 from 1984. Created by Mike W. Barr, who wrote the script. The team affiliations is Force, the Force of July, Freedom's Ring, and the Suicide Squad. Abilities able to produce identical re- replicas of himself. And his uh, backstory, Silent Majority's name and background were never revealed, least of all by the Tactum Hero. Uh, let me see. As a member of the government-sponsored superhero team, the Force of July, Majority fights against elements perceived as subversive. In quotes. This brings in a first in conflict with the original Outsiders, though the teams later become unwilling allies. Silent Majority appears in the Outsiders special in 1987, Investigating a mysterious new prime minister in the country of Markovia, a small group of outsiders and Infinity members follow a lead to Force of July's HQ, the California coast estate of Abraham Lincoln Carlisle. Majority defeats Nucleon in battle while his teammates do the other heroes, and the story continues in the corresponding Infinity special. Uh, Majority and the Force of July return in Suicide Squad number 27, which we just talked about here recently. Uh, during the Janus Directive storyline, where Cobra, an international terrorist, manipulates the squad, resulting in a battle to bring the Force in the Force as traitors. Mayflower and Sparkle are killed, as we covered a couple months back. Silent Majority later joins up with the very people who killed his friends in order to save a large portion of Earth's population from being murdered by Cobra's space, space-based weapon. Majority rushes the control panel for the weapon, manned by Valand. Majority multiplies himself, but Vlan kills them all. And then that, that brings us up to current day. In the future, which I'm not really going to cover on here, I don't think, a revamped Force of July called Freedom's Ring returns in the series Crisis Aftermath, The Battle for Bloodhaven by Jimmy Palamonte, Justin Gray, and Dan Jurgens, with Silent Majority among the group. It is never made clear if this is the same Silent Majority or a new person with the same powers. Uh, he's killed by a nuclear legion before anything can be revealed. And his powers and abilities, as we said earlier, can create identical duplicates of himself, which can be controlled by the original majority. Each duplicate has the strength and stamina of an ordinary human. Uh, he's kind of like the uh, Matrix, the multiple man from the Marvel Universe. But anyways, yes, he's been killed off already. So, But again, this was the, the character profile for Silent Majority. Not much else to say. I remember, again, just briefly, I remember reading about the 4th of July back in The Outsiders before I started reading the, the uh, Suicide Squad before they appeared there. I bought The Outsiders as... Or did I buy... my brought my friend's Billy's books. I forget now. But I read The, the Outsiders as back issues because I wasn't in the comics at the time. But yeah, I enjoyed The 4th of July. It was an interesting group. And uh, again, I, I love Multiple Man over in the... Marvel Universe, so done right. I think I could have enjoyed this character, but he wasn't around long enough, as far as I can see. So, but that's it for the uh, character profile. Let's go ahead and move on to the next comic we're going to look at this issue or this episode, Suicide Squad number thirty-three. Cover date was just nineteen eighty-nine. No month, just nineteen eighty-nine. The on-sale date was August the eighth of nineteen eighty-nine. Cover price was one dollar. The title of this was called Into the Angry Planet. Written by John Ostender, penciled by John K. Snyder III, inker was Jeff Isherwood, letter Todd Klein, colorist Carl Gafford, editor was Dan Raspler. The cover was done by John K. Snyder III and Carl Kiesel, or Kessel. 
reprinted in Suicide Squad Apocalypse Now trade paperback, which came out in 2017, which I believe is available on in-stock trades. Uh, the synopsis, again, the credits and the synopsis I'm not ready to read, all came from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. It's a great site. Uh, the synopsis, Duchess, Duchess, that's her name, Duchess visits Arkham Asylum to recruit Deadshot for a mission. She finds that he's not mentally fit, so she takes Poison Ivy instead. <laughs> like, she's mentally fit for anything. Anyways, uh, Duchess and Ivy then head to Bell Rev, where they recruit and kidnap various members of the Suicide Squad. Shade and Count Vertical come willingly. Vixen, Boomerang, Nightshade, Major Victory, Amanda Waller, Briscoe, and even Flo Crawley are taken against their will. The Duchess, now wearing her Lashina garb, loads the kidnapped members into the shuttle. Bronze Tiger, Dr. Light, and Punch and Julie try to stop her. However, Lashina opens a boom tube using Barda's stolen me Mega Rod, taking the shuttle and everyone on board to Apocalypse. Now on to uh, my thoughts on the actual issue. As I tend to do, we're going to start the cover. The cover, we have uh, our Suicide Squad logo. The cover itself, we show a ship hurtling through the a boom tube. On top of the ship, we have Lashina with a, the, Barda's Negar Rod in one hand and her whip in the other being lashed out. Also on top of the shuttle, the ship, we have uh, Poison Ivy holding on to it. We have Shade, the Changing Man, crouched down. And then up above them, we have Count Vertical flying. And on the very front, we have Amanda Waller strapped to the front of the shuttle or the ship, whatever it is, with vines holding her onto it. Uh, we get the very bottom, we get like very lovely script. Apocalypse Now. Uh, a great cover. I love this cover. Uh, I love we got Amanda Waller. She appears to be unconscious, but yeah, she just strapped to the front of this ship as the, these villains are in shade. I don't consider him a villain. Are rocketing through the boom tube with, uh, on their way to Apocalypse. It's a great cover. Uh, it shows us the very end of the book. I see we don't get this actual... Uh, now, we get kind of like this scene later on in the book. A little different, but it's close enough to tell us that the, this is where it's headed. It's going to Apocalypse. Uh, these are some of the people involved with the storyline. And hang on, because the is about to hit the fan. So we get our opening splash page, and you, you could have started the story without the splash page, but I really love it. We get a outside exterior shot of Arkham Asylum. We got rain pouring down. We got thunder lightning. Uh, we get the gates showing, and you don't see all of Arkham Asylum. You see A-R-K-A-S-Y. So if you're not familiar with, uh, especially like the Batman books and stuff, you may not know what this is. But if you're familiar with the comics in the slightest, I, I think you'll know that this is Arkham Asylum. And this is just a very lovely way to start this story. I don't know, any my opinion, any good Arkham Asylum book is going to have thunder and lightning and rain and just, it's at night, it's just rain's pouring down on the building. It's a house full of madness, so this is a very great way to start this. We get our title, Into the Angry Planets. It's just a great image, not quite poster worthy, but it's, it's a very nice start to our story. And then as I talked about during the synopsis, we get Lashina confronting Deadshot. And she's like, you know, I like the dialogue on here. Again, I don't know if it was, uh, yes, it was just John Ostinger. So Lashina shows up. Actually, she's Duchess at this point. She's still in her, her Duchess disguise. Uh, she shows up. He's like, you know me? Yeah. You ready to go to work again? And he's like, you got something he's killed? Is it dangerous? And, you know, he's sitting there smoking a cigarette. And when he asks, is it dangerous? We get an extreme close-up in his eye. And his part of his mouth, he's grinning. And the next page shows uh, Duchess thinking about it. And Floyd's sitting there behind her. He's got a cigarette in his hand. You can see a crazed look in his eye. So just, it's great to show, like I say, that she was going to involve Deadshot in this, but we can see from here that he's, he's bat crazy. <laughs> and as she turns to leave, she runs into Poison Ivy, as I talked about in the synopsis. And... Like I said, Poison Ivy's never really been one of your, uh, as far as I'm concerned, one of your sane villains. But she's a lot more saner than Deadshot, which says about how crazy he really is. But yeah, she's like, whatever it is, wherever it is, as long as it's out of here, Poison Ivy's your girl. And, and Dutch is like, yeah, 
You'll do. <laughs> so again, she came in for Deadshot, and she left with Poison Ivy. I don't know if it's a fair exchange. I mean, Deadshot doesn't have any powers, but he, again, is one of the world's greatest marksmen. But again, as he's gone a little crazy right now, uh, maybe Poison Ivy will work. We'll see. And then we got to Ravon confronting Cobra. Uh, and again, they're kind of on the opposite sides of the spectrum. Raven sa says, uh, Ravon says that, uh, let me see, he's saying that Cobra was chosen by the Avatar of Chaos to bring in the Age of Kali Yaga, the Age of Chaos, while he is Thuggy, uh, which and he kills people that he gives to Kali, which he seeks to stay the Kali Yuga for a thousand years. So again, they're there, and as he says here, they're natural enemies. Uh, Cobra wants to bring about the end game, if you will, and Ravon wants to forestall it. That's why he kills people to kind of help stop the, the apocalypse, if you will, which is kind of funny. I use that word when they're going to apocalypse, but that's another story entirely, which we'll get to in just a few minutes here. And so as he walks, he, Cobra's like, you will kill me if you can. And Ravon's like, yes, I await your assault. Soon, Lord of Evil, soon. So again, it's not much to do with this actual story that we got going on here. But I do think it's some nice dialogue and it's setting up for some future stories and we're kind of, you know, giving us a little... Because we've been following Ravon as he showed up in the Suicide Squad. Uh, Cobra was behind the whole Janus directive. So I think it's a nice touch that we get just a little bit of a subplot here as our bigger story continues. Then on page six, we get Duchess and Poison Ivy breaking into Nightshade's home, apartment, whatever it is as they quickly knock her out and Barda, or, uh, Duchess tells us that we need to keep both Nightshade, Eve, and Barda unconscious to reach our final destination. And Poison Ivy's like, what is our final destination? And are we taking any men along? More fun to party if there's a husky body or two. Because <laughs> again, Poison Ivy is a very sexualized character. Uh, she wasn't quite as, uh, in quotes, slutty as she has become later at this point. Uh, she's still an interesting character. Like I say she very much likes guys, and she likes, you know, using her female charms against the guys, if you will. And then we get Dutch like, oh, there will be men. Or a passes for manhood on this pitiful mud ball. As far as final destination, I'm going home. And again, like I've said before, I can't remember at this point if we if we know for sure that this is last year. I think, I think she showed up last issue... Uh, when she kidnapped Bart, if I'm not mistaken, as Lashina. Yeah, I was just double-checking real quick. Yeah, she showed up as Lashina, and she said she was so... Here, she she's kind of being kind of vague, it seemed, because she's dressed back in her Duchess outfit, and she just said, I'm going home. Being a little vague about it, but I guess since, these, since Poison Ivy hasn't seen Lashina and doesn't know about Apocalypse. It's a mystery to her, not really us. Again, great dialogue, though. Great dialogue, though. And then we cut to the next page, page seven, where we get uh, Dr. Light in therapy, and we're finding out here that uh, when the lights are out, he gets an apparition that appears to him, which was the original Dr. Light, his partner. And he's kind of recapping what happened that we found out during Secret Words number 37. I didn't cover on this show, but I did go over to the Secret Origins podcast. Uh, it was a -ish episode 37 where he, we covered the uh, origin of Dr. Light, me and uh, Ryan Daly. If you haven't checked out that show, you should check out the entire back catalog of Secret Origins. It's over now because he ran through the entire series. But I showed up uh, three times over there. And it was a uh, it was a great comic. I love the Secret Origins comic, and I thought Ryan Daly and his rotating guests did a fantastic job on that. So definitely check out Secret Origins, especially if episode thirty seven, which talked about Doctor Light. I believe fourteen was about the Suicide Squad, and I want to say twenty seven or twenty eight. I forget now. It was in the twenties. There was a Secret Origin of Nightshade that I talked about. So definitely check out those shows. But let's go ahead and get back to here. Uh, so again, we get Dr. Light talking to the, the uh, psychiatrist. 
And uh, he say, so he essentially stole the costume and power to become a supervillain and accidentally caused his death along the way. And he's like, uh, consider the operation's not true, it's not real. And Tide's like, he is, he is. And the psychiatrist is making him saying, you know, what's your own guilt doing this? Uh, he's not really there. You know, maybe you should become, maybe your, your subconscious trying to make you be a good guy. And he's like, oh, please. I can just see me dressing in spandex, doing good deeds for nothing, like those other dweebs. And <laughs> his next line here is, in stage dress, dress up in spandex and get beat up by those dweebs. Arthur, children beat you up. And he's like, well, I, I killed the last one. Maybe, maybe I'm the dweeb, huh? Hmm. So again, uh, Dr. Light's an interesting character. Uh, rumor has it things was done to change him during the uh, was identity crisis, but that's years in the future from here, and we're going to ignore that for my own sanity. But yeah, so at this point, yeah, he just became a villain, and as we find, as we found out previous issues, we've talked about it. He tends to get beat up my children quite a bit. I do love the, I love the little dialogue here. Arthur, children beat you up. Thank you. you are pathetic, sir. <laughs> it was great dialogue, great. And I haven't talked much about it because I, I say basically the same thing every episode. I, I love the art in this book. Uh, we we don't have Luke McDonald on here at this point, but uh, John Snyder and Jeff. I guess I'm pronounced not pronouncing it. Isherwood does a great job. Like I said, a person I don't see much of a difference art-wise from now, from the beginning. I mean, it's it's been really good throughout. I think there was a couple issues here or there where it kind of skipped a beat, but overall, I love the issue in the or the art in this issue. Uh, great. It's, again, it's I prefer the more four-color superhero artwork for your regular, you know, for Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, things like that, but. For the Suicide Squad, I, I think it's darker, uh, a little more heavily inked, I think. A little more gritty-looking artwork works fantastic. And then on page 8, we see Shady's in a bubble of some, some sort, being empowered. The bubble explodes because he's trying to use that to get himself back home. And that's when Duchess shows up and says that she can help him. And he's like, uh, let me see, I'm beginning to think there's no way to get back to Meta. The technology of this blasted planet is so limited. And again, he's frustrated. He's moving the debris off of him. He uses the invest to create a, a bigger image of himself to do that. And Duchess is like, or unless she, again, she's back in, no, she's in her Duchess costume. And Duchess at this point is like, I can get you home. He's like, fine, wave your magic wand and do it. It's not a magic wand. It's called a mega rod. I can call it a mega rod, but mega rod. And I can't send you directly home. You still can't get there from here. She can't from my dimension. And uh, she, he's like, why should I believe you? Don't. Believe your eyes. Tell me if the Mega Rod was constructed using this dimension's technology. And so this is where, you know, he's like, what do you want from me? And she basically, you know, he's making a deal with the devil, if you will. So again, I love Shade. Like I said previously, I read the Shade. I think it was like a four or five issue miniseries. I'd read that previous to this. So when Shade showed up in here, I, I was happy to see him. I enjoyed that miniseries. I'm going to have to reread that again one of these days. I enjoy the character, and so I enjoy that he's trying to get home from here. So, just a great character. And like I say, it's part of his, you know, his uh, characterization, as I say, Baxter, but more of his characterization that he, he's trying to get back home. So, great times. And then we cut to Amanda Waller with Flo, uh, Ben Turner, he Bronze Tiger. Uh, Mac, the psychiatrist that was talking to Dr. Light earlier, and Murphy sitting around Amanda's uh, desk while Murphy's explaining the new security brace that they have. The old one just allowed him to blow an arm off. This new one's smaller, fits under their clothes better. Plus, not only does it have explosives, but it's got like, an electronic shock in there, like a cattle prod. So they give it two warnings for the detach a limb. Because before you misbehave, it was just, you know, goodbye. And blow your arm off. Now they can shock him a little bit. Say, well, you got you got a couple warnings. 
So again, I do love the security bracelet in here. Not all villains would work with that, uh, which we may find out later. They have different ways of handling it later on in the future, but I do like the bracelet. And as I talked about when I talked about the Suicide Squad movie, I do love, again, in the movie, they changed it to uh, an implant in the neck. I don't mind that so much. Uh, I think they used something like that later on in the book, if I'm not mistaken. I forget now. But I, I do like that they use it to kill uh, what's his name? Slipknot. Almost forgot. Uh, Fire and Water Network's going to shoot me for that. In the movie, yeah, they, they killed Slipknot using that. Uh, again, I think the, the movie may have used something like this a little better, you know, gave him a shock or something instead, but it is what it is. I, I enjoyed that, so... And then Amanda goes over, talks to the psychiatrist Mac about Vertigo, and we, you know, he says he's uh, out of depression and apathy. And his worry is that when he slips in a maniac cycle and get him going, you might have to blow his arm off to stop him. So she, so again, like he's like, my worry is when he slips into his maniac cycle, get him going, you might have to blow his arm off to stop him. Waller's like, use Vertigo with caution. Got it. <laughs> Uh, I love Amanda Waller. She's great. And then she asks Flo if they have anything on Loa. And we find out she talked with uh, Oracle. And basically that they didn't really have information. Like she's like, Oracle said, and I quote, specific questions yield specific answers. General questions yield only general conf confusion. And a quotation. <laughs> uh, and so they're starting to set up a... a uh, some way to take down Loa, they've set up a rival gang again in quotes. And like, she's like, you'll be the head of the outfit, Ben. And he's reading the report, he's like, El Tiger Negro? So I couldn't think of Smash were from bronze. Science, I'm going to get too obvious. <laughs> and he's like, we need to talk about your ideas subtle. <laughs> uh, and uh, Flo says, you know, that since this is going to be a local operation, she wants to take a part of it. And Waller's adamant that her Flo's purpose flows flow should be in mission control and you know she's a valued member of the team and she knows why flow wants to go along so she can be closer to Ben Turner aka Bronze Tiger who again has got something with uh, Mari McCobb aka or McCabe uh, aka Vixen and again as this flow storms out uh, Waller's like young love huh gives my bunions a Gives my bunions up my backside. Interesting phrase, but we can tell she's annoyed by it. And then as Flo's walking away in tears, Duchess approaches her. Flo, that mission I talked to you about, it's here. Still game? She's like, I'm ready for anything. Good. I've had some appropriate clothes in your room. Change you meet by the shuttle train on the air side in 10 minutes. And Flo, not a word to anyone. So again, I like that Duchess is using Flo's naivety and her, her love for Ben to get her go along on the mission. And then we get Vixen working out, a beautiful woman, as uh, Shag would say, she is hot. I don't know about her hair. She's got kind of from the Wolverine style, the way it's combed up. But anyways, she's still hot. And again, she's using her powers. I love whenever they, she uses her powers. She, we get the outline, the like serpent of what I hear. She's using a bird of some sort to fly down. And then when Shade comes in, again, I think, again I'm calling it a surprint. I'm, I'm pulling that from the uh, Who's Who podcast. Because that's what it seems to me is like that type of drawing. And Shade uses the meta vest to knock Vixen out. And again, he's, he's like, as he knocks her out, he's thinking, he's like, I'm sorry, Vixen, what I've done is dishonorable. I swear no, swear no harm will come to any of you. But my only hope of getting back to meta is help Duchess first. And then here on page 14, she, uh, speaking of Duchess, she comes in on Major Victory, who's watching TV, eating popcorn, drinking a soda or something. And Duchess, this is like, I'm cracking. It's like a little TV on a little stand. He's sitting back, relaxed, watching TV. And she comes in, she's like, hello, Major. I'm heading home. Like to come with me? I'm like, no. Too bad, you're going. And she just uses her, cry, her rifle to crack him the back of the head. Crack! And we don't see her hitting him. We see her swinging the gun. Like, too bad, you're going. We the big, big crack. We see the, the soda can or whatever it is go flying. The, the popcorn bowl goes spinning in the air. Just great image. Again, without having any violence actually seen. 
uh, we get the point of what's going on here. And then we get uh, Rick, a.k.a. Shade, uh, walking with Vixen over his shoulder. And Boomerang comes up. Hey, good day. Bludgeon the Tiger Sheila, huh? Tell you what. What are you planning for her? Give me a test and I don't say nothing to him, eh? Because, hey, again, Captain Boomerang is a sleazy, lecherous guy. So, again, he, he thinks that Shade's going to rape Vixen. And he wants to join in. Uh, I'm going to ignore any Dr. Light comments at this point. But... But yeah, that's very much Captain Boomerang's character, I think. I mean, again, he, he's changed quite a bit, I think, from his appearances in The Flash, because The Flash was a bit more... A bit more of a wholesome, I guess. More of a, a superhero book, where this is a darker, seer book. So Boomerang can be a bit more lecherous and a bit more pervy than he is over there. But she just knocks, you know, picks him up, slams the wall, and knocks him out without saying a word. And picks him. Then we did, I just see... We see a vi- a distant shot of him carrying the two of them over his shoulders. Great. I love the, the dialogue in this book and the art is fantastic because I keep saying saying. As talking about the synopsis, uh, Duchess recruits Vertigo. She gives him this costume. She's like, get a costume count. I'm going on a private mission. I'm taking you with me. And he's like, eh, why not? And then finally we get Lashina busting into Waller's office. Waller was kind of expecting something so she pulls her gun out. But again, this is Amanda Waller, an overweight older uh, woman human woman compared to someone from Apocalypse so the Duchess swings her whip and breaks the desk and knocks the man down and I love here on the bottom of page 16 we get an inset well first we get a, a full almost a full page of Lashina in her costume and then the rest of its panels and set into that in the last panel we just see Duchess or I'm sorry Lashina walking dragging Amanda's unconscious body with her just fantastic and one of the security guys like what in the heck is that duchess is she dragging the wall hey Murph take a look at this yeah that's what it is all right Waller's been waiting for duchess to pull something looks like this is it hit red light hit red alert and break out the bazookas and that's when poison ivy breaks in and knocks them out and here page 17 one of the guards comes running Murph I think we got I think we spotted an intruder in the halls and she's like that was me cutie but let's not tell anyone, okay? Kiss, kiss. And kisses, which knocks him out, because, again, that's her power. And then here on page 18, again, I'm almost going by page by page, just because, again, between the artwork and the dialogue and the writing of this book, it's so fantastic. It's just, I love this book. And, again, as I've said previously, I'll say it again, Suicide Squad is the main reason I'm doing this this podcast, Task Force X. Uh Checkmate is tied into I love Checkmate. It's a great book. Paul did a great job on it. But Suicide Squad out of the two is my love. I, I love this book. And then we get Flo getting into the shuttle that shows up. And she sees the rest of the, the Suicide Squad unconscious. And she's like, thanks heaven. I was beginning to think you'd left me behind. And again, Poison Ivy knocks her out before she makes a fuss. And Shade's like, you're taking her? Why? And uh, Dutch uh, Lashina's like, a gift for Granny. So he has an, an amplifier. Let me see here real quick. He throws activate the amplifier because this is where they're going to get the final members for the assault team. And we get, oh, I forget his name. The guy, the mechanic guy from earlier we've talked with several times. He sees Shade and Duchess and Count. <laughs> Who's that, Shade? Is that Duchess? They got Count Oopsie Daisy with them. This looks strange. I remember maybe give Bell River a dingle. And so they knock out Briscoe and take him along with them and Sheba. And here on page 20, it is just a helter-skelter mess. Uh, I like it, don't get me wrong, but I mean, we've got Shade activating the, the vesty thing he's wearing. He's crackling with Kirby energy, if you will. We get Vertigo using his powers to lift himself up. We get Lashina using gun, just... <laughs> Firing at Sunbeam, just causing mayhem, I'm assuming. Shade's using the vest to lift up Sheba as they're getting going. And then we kind of get, but not the cover. We see the shuttle taken off. We get Poison Ivy behind the wheel, where the driver's seat would be. Next to her is Vertigo. On top is Lashina, again, with the, the Mega Rod and the, the whip in, in either hand. Shades flying behind him, using uh, lifting up uh, Shiva, taking it with him. And then again, here on page 21, we go to the security guys like, Bell Rev, this is Jaeger. 
Duchess has gone berserk and headed your way via the shuttle. And Dr. Light and Punch and Julie shows up. Wait, where's the others? Seems Duchess already has them on the shuttle. Now move your butt. They'll be here any second. And Leshina opens up a portal using the boom tube. And they go flying through. She's right into the top of the craft, just <laughs> laughing her butt off. It's a great shot of them as they go through the portal. And Bronze Tiger realizes what's going on. And he's like, damn her. She's taking them with her. To Apocalypse. Mari! Just a great scene of him yelling into the camera. I love above that on the same page. This last page here we get the boom tube closing, knocking all four of these Bronze Tiger, Dr. Light, and Punch Julie, just throwing them aside. Great scene. I, I lo love that. It was fantastic. I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's a great story, great artwork, and game of a great storyline. A lot of great storylines, but this is another great storyline that we turn to Apocalypse which will take the next few months. Uh, moving into the letter column just briefly, we do have Uncle Elvis, which was a notorious letter hack at the time, uh, asking for them to bring in Scarecrow and bring Deadshot back soon. And the editor, whoever is right, says there's no plans for Jonathan Cranish to turn up, but he will be shoving Captain Adam in, in the 20-year guest star issue, Captain Adam 32. He's in the Who Who update. And Detective Annual number two, now on sale. Hey guys, brother, because like, you know, Uncle Elvis, like I say, he was, he was always showing up in letter columns. Uh, so fantastic. And then we get the coming attraction, says, you know, next month we've got the Apocalypse storyline. Uh, the editor, Dan Raspler, shamefully recommends you check out the Elemental Wars, a special four-part four story in Firestorm with the Elementals, which was Swamp Thing, Firestorm, Red Tornado, and the new ele Water Elemental, Naid by John Ostrander. Uh, again, I was enjoying Firestorm at the time. It's not the same Firestorm from original. It, I think it was better. But I, I enjoyed that era of Firestorm. That was near the end of it. Uh, again, written by John Ostrander. Great writers, I've always said on this show. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, we're just over the hour mark. Again, I love this story. I love what's going on here. So... Definitely check it out if you haven't done so yet. And be sure to join us back here next month. Uh, but before I get to that, I will cover everything else before that. Just looking at my notes here. Next week, we should have uh, Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. We're looking at the books from April 1990, which was just Starman number 23. I, I finished with the Manhunter story for now. Then in the next week, we should have Head Speaks number 51, which is Armageddon 2001. Uh, the second issue of the, the major storyline, coming up to an end on that. The following week, we have G.I. Joe, Royal American Headcast, where we have issue 30, entitled Darkness. We'll look at issue 30 of G.I. Joe, and should be episode 17 of the cartoon. And finally, back here next month for the episode I'm calling Bishop 2 and Granny vs. the Wall, where we look at Checkmate number 2, Suicide Squad number 34, and I continue with the character profiles, this time on Poison Ivy. Uh, be sure to check them out. Check out my website, headspeaks.com. From there, I've got links to my main website, which I haven't done much with in recent years. But there's also a link to all my different podcasts. Check them out. Um, I've mentioned a couple of times different places. Uh, I need to get a bigger push on this, I guess. I do have a Patreon page finally set up if you're enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, be sure to check out the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash, uh, I think it's Headcast Network. If you like it, go throw a few bucks in the tin. Uh, I'd love for you to help me out. But uh, that's going to do it for this month. I'm, I'm trying to get on more of a regular basis with these. Uh, please bear with me as I get things worked out. Again, my home life's a little hectic at times. But thank you for listening. That's going to do it for this month. So until next month, squadmates, dismissed. listen to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. 
mate. You just out-crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried, Boomer, but... Anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, and also on Google+, you can look for taskforcex under people and pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Yippee!